Welcome to the Mental Advantage Podcast. Whether you're an athlete trying to perform at your best when it counts the most, a coach or business leader trying to get more out of your team, or someone looking for more personal growth, this is the place for you. This podcast is your map to guide you to the right mindset, systems, and strategies you need to become the best version of yourself. And now, here's John Cullen and Brandon Allen. So what's happening, Brandon? We got another good one tonight. We do, we do. Um, kind of appropriate that, you know, the NHL is in the middle of hockey season or uh, the playoffs, and we've got uh, Lauren coming on with us, and um, I'm excited for the, for the listeners to hear. Yeah, Lauren Williams is a uh, mental performance coach. I think she refers to herself as a performance coach with elite high performance um, and the co-host of her own podcast, Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. But to Brandon's point, she's also a former college and professional hockey player. Uh, so between the three of us, we have four frozen fours that we've played in. Uh, and then and, and one person was drafted uh, number, number one in the female uh, in the women's uh, hockey league. And I think you guys could figure out which of the three that was. Um, but no, Lauren's really, really great. Comes with a lot of great experiences as an athlete, but then also really does it. I think um, I first found out about Lauren through her social media feeds uh, on Instagram, mm-hmm. and she does such a good job. And I talked to her about this of just really opening the window, so to speak, on mental health issues among mm-hmm. athletes. Um, she talks in this interview about some of her own challenges that she went through as a young player and just how that kind of set her on a path to go down this road of wanting to help others later on in life. For sure. And, and another young, energetic, passionate about mental performance and just overall mental health. Um, it's just, you know, it, I, here's one of the things that I really love about this this podcast, John. It, I feel I feel good um, when we're done talking to some of these folks because I think mental health obviously is is very very important, and I think that um, we've got a very good young, um, dynamic, passionate group of professionals out there. And I know we say that a lot, but. Um, you know, after talking to someone like Lauren, it just it it makes you feel good about um, the state of things. Yeah, she's she really is something else. And she'll talk to you guys a little bit about some of the things that uh, they're doing. Um, I guess it's kind of through the dismantling the high performance narrative right. podcast around leadership uh, and the platform that they're working on right now and how you can get involved in that for through some virtual learning. And then also, um, you know, you can find Lauren on Instagram. Uh, but Elite High Performance is the name of the company and a really great conversation with Lauren. We were glad to have her as a guest and we'll definitely want to have her back on sometime soon. Absolutely. Enjoy. Well, Brian, we have a great guest with us. Um, Lauren Williams is somebody we've actually been um, efforting is a good word to uh, get on the show for a little while now. I first um, saw some of her content on social media platforms, Instagram. She's the co-host of her own podcast, uh, Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. She's also a performance coach at Elite High Performance. Um, But I will say this, she's so much more than that, right? I mean, she's somebody who played collegiate hockey for University of Wisconsin, was the first overall pick in the 2018 Canadian Women's Hockey League uh, draft. And while at Whiskey, while at Wisconsin, she actually played in four different NCAA Frozen Four appearances. So not too shabby. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My resume always sounds like so much better when someone else says it than it <laughs> Well, I can be hired if you if you need me just to follow along and be your hype person. I, I'm always good good with that. Hey, I do I have tried a, it. I've tried it. He's great with it. Uh, that's he, right. He, you should have seen him when we were back in college. He was he was the best hype wingman going. Yeah, so yeah. It was I, great. 
I could definitely pump up everybody else and, and, and talk about all their accolades. So I have a question for you, though, hockey question. It'd probably be the only one. Well, might, might not be the only one we get into tonight. But I noticed in looking at your stats that you played defense, right? Mm-hmm. But you had uh, – how is it that you were still able to manage scoring goals? Because I've watched enough hockey that I'm not necessarily sure. Is that like – you know, like kind of a shootout situation or did you just literally just take it from one end of the ice to the other? Well, the best part about hockey, I think, is that all positions, I mean, maybe minus being a goalie, uh, get involved in the offensive side. Nice. And you see see a goalie get an assist, which is awesome. But um, so the way that hockey moves is you kind of work as a unit of five, right? Mm-hmm. So if, um, you're in the offensive end at any given point, like if I'm right near the blue line, I might be 25, 30 feet away from the net. Right. So it's relatively, well, I shouldn't say relatively easy, but it is <laughs> <laughs> not impossible to, uh, to get the puck through a couple layers of players into the net. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not somebody who scored a lot of goals. I was very much a defensive defenseman. So I was the one who got the puck out and then got off the ice and let somebody else do the, uh, the super skilled work in the offensive end. But no, it's, it's awesome. And it's one of the reasons why I really like hockey is because everybody kind of gets to get involved in, in all aspects of play. That's awesome. Yeah, if you don't have someone pulling their weight, either in the offensive end or in the defensive end, it puts you at a huge disadvantage. No, that's really cool. I I, I like watching playoff hockey, um, especially like now that I live in Nashville, I'm a big Predators fan, right? So, uh, you know, they had a nice little run, um, but ended up losing in the end. But I mean, I tell you, there's nothing like playoff hockey. You just kind of get dialed into it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Playoff hockey is like a whole other beast. It's it's unreal. Yeah. So um, tell me, and I like to ask this question of our guests is how do you describe what you do on the day to day? If somebody says, Lauren, what are you doing now? How would you answer that question? Um, I say like I'm a high performance coach first and foremost. um, But really what my goal is, is to help athletes reach whatever their peak performance potential is. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so much that gets in the way of being able to play at your best, whether it's, you know, your confidence, the way that you slept the night before. Um, if you're a student athlete, if you've got projects that have to get done or exams coming up, um, you know, your own mental roadblocks that get in the way and, and prevent you from being essentially the player that, you know, you know, you can be, or that your coaches are potentially telling you, you could be. Um, so what I do is I help athletes build mental skills that help them learn how to focus on the things that they can control, mm-hmm. um, how to navigate roadblocks when they come up, how to deal with setbacks and failures, because we all know sports aren't perfect, yep. um, and help them navigate through their careers in a better headspace, ultimately ending up in them you know, potentially being able to reach their, their big 10 out of 10 goals. Um, but also just being happier along the way. Sure. Yeah. That's really what I do. <laughs> so how well, how well do you think this is, I mean, as far as we were just talking about hockey there for a second and the, you know, and you playing at that professional level, how much a part of the hockey kind of community would you say mental performance is right now? Is it something that's been adopted pretty pretty quickly with a lot of the professional teams that you were around? Um, it's growing. I wouldn't say that it's been heavily adopted. I think within the NHL, you'll hear of a couple athletes talking about how they do it. Um, some organizations bring in, uh, say, a sports psychologist to come and help. But it's definitely not as widely used as I would hope mm-hmm. because, I mean, these are issues that everybody deals with. Right. Um, and being able to, you know, have open conversations with people about this is really how you get to being able to maximize their ability to perform. So it's growing, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a really interesting kind of segue. Cause I think we, we talk about this a good bit on the, on the podcast and we, we seem to see, um, folks like yourself that are that are young, they're energetic, they have a passion for 
helping others. The adoption rate within sports is just because it's sports, and sometimes people view that view that talking about your feelings and your mental health have a kind of a stigma around it. But can you talk, Lauren, a little bit about what is a client like? Are you starting to see younger clients come to you and and parents and and uh, coaches embracing it a little more at a younger age than, than maybe even when you came through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm currently working with, um, a couple players, both under the age of 15, mm-hmm. which is awesome. One of them, their parents said like, Hey, I think you could help with this. And then a couple other came from a coach who said, Hey, I, I hear what you're doing. I think it's super important. Um, and I'm going to feed you a couple players to work with. So it's been awesome to see that because when I was coming up through it, um, I did not have that resource until I was 16 or 17. Um, and it took me hitting like one of the biggest barriers that I've ever encountered in my life in, in terms of hockey and Mm -hmm. the way that I saw my career going in order to get that resource. Wow. Yeah. What was what was that? If you don't mind me asking, what was the 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 pivot point for you that that got you going in that direction? Yeah. So um, in my grade ten year, I moved away from home. Um, it's pretty common for hockey players to billet. I'm not sure if it's the case in other sports, but uh, I was a real homebody, so that wasn't really something I was really thrilled about. But I did it anyways because I had this voice in my head saying, like, well, you have to if you want to get to the next level. <laughs> right, right, right. So I moved away and started at a boarding school. And things weren't going well at the boarding school. Wasn't fitting in. Wasn't really my kind of people. Um, my performance started plummeting because I was worried about everything else around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within a couple I think a couple months of me being gone, my mom was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, man. wow. She's perfectly healthy now. So Great. really happy about that. But to a 16 year old kid who had just moved away from home was getting asked to go try out for national teams and provincial teams, um, dealing with something like that without that parental support directly in front of me was extremely difficult. And I basically, um, stood at a crossroads with like my values mm-hmm. and this passion for a sport that I had. My values were telling me I should be spending as much time as possible with my family um, and that I was missing that. But then I was so competitive and I didn't want to quit hockey and the resulting mental breakdown that occurred from that was pretty epic. And I'm forever thankful for my parents for finding me um, the resource that I got, which was Susan, who was now my boss. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's how you met her. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So she was kind of like my mentor and really steered me onto this path of doing this work. But, you know, you touch on something, Lauren, that I think happens to a lot of young athletes. And we we talked about this a little bit a few shows ago where you're kind of caught in that crossfire between what you think is the expectation for you as far as, Hey, I'm supposed to go and do this. I've, I've got this certain level of talent. That's a little bit above other people, my age. And so this is my trajectory and therefore it conflicts sometimes with what's going on with you from a you know personal value standpoint or whatever, but not everyone's really good at managing that. And I mean, you're proof of that, right? I mean, is that something that you, where do you usually start with some of those younger clients that you get? Do you start to try to unpack some of those things and see if there's something a little bit deeper? Yeah, I think it's really common to see, especially younger athletes, really focused on all the external stuff, mm-hmm. whether that's you know playing time, making certain teams, um, feeling like they're getting the recognition from their coaches. Um, for girls, often there's a lot of body image stuff that goes along with that. Yeah. Well, I'm supposed to look a certain way. Um, That was definitely something that I even dealt with as a younger athlete Um, and really pulling in the awareness to say, look, all of those things are really valid, but they're making you feel a certain way because you know that they're not in your control. Right. right. It makes you feel anxious. It makes you feel unsettled because you already know there's no way you can control that stuff. Mm -hmm. 
So what I try to do is kind of uncover whatever belief systems they have about them in that situation and then try to reframe them so that they can allow themselves to focus more on those intrinsic things, the things that they have control over that inherently make them feel more secure in the process that they're on. Yeah. One of the things that you um, talked about, and I, I have to say, I have a lot of from the distance admiration for, for your social media content. And I'll tell you why is because you've managed to be very vulnerable for somebody who, you know, from the outset, everybody be like, Oh, she's a performance coach. She's been a professional hockey player. She's got it all together and all these different things. And you're pretty open to say, you know, that that's not always the case. And just because you are a professional athlete or just because you are in these positions that are esteemed positions, doesn't mean you had an Instagram post late last year that really hit me. Uh, and, and I'll kind of remind you of what this was. You said, what, what, what is it like to look successful on the outside, but feel empty on the inside? And then you went on to discuss in your post, how people can be so hard on themselves. And it reminded me of something I tell a lot of the athletes I work with is say the biggest bully that you will ever face is the one you'll see in the mirror because it's the one who's most intimate and has most intimate knowledge of you. But here's something I wanted you to unpack. If you would, um, you say in that post, we try and run off deficit strategies like perfectionism. You were just talking about this and having that little voice in our head saying you could do better. But the thing about deficit strategies is that you're pulling from an emptying cup. Hmm. what do you mean by that? So especially with perfectionist strategies, let's kind of like hone in on that, right? Mm -hmm. If you're constantly expecting yourself to be perfect, you're setting yourself up to fail. Mm. Right. And as athletes, we have to find those little victories in the process because that's what stokes your motivation. That's what makes you want to keep going. Um, that's what makes you feel good about what you're doing. But so many of us, for however long that strategy works for, mm -hmm. use perfectionism to drive us. Yeah. But then eventually you hit a point where it stops working. Whether or not it's jumping to the next level, moving to a new town, getting a new coach, whatever it is, at some point, you no longer get maybe the external recognition you were relying on, or you no longer are satisfied with the amount of disappointment you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to find a way to change. And the deficit and pulling from an empty cup is essentially saying you're running on E because you're not replenishing any of that success right. that you're looking for. You're not re replenishing any of your mental resources when you're constantly telling yourself you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure. Right. And, and that's difficult. It, it, it's, it's exponentially more difficult in today's environment where your peers and, and even, you know, if you want to look at it as your competition, they're posting wins all the time on social media, right? I mean, it's a, that's got to be something that that you guys also address in in some of your discussions. Absolutely. So, for more context on that post, the picture that's behind the words that say like, "What does it look like to feel empty on the inside?" Yeah, that was my freshman year headshot. Okay. So I had just gotten like a full ride scholarship to the number one women's hockey program in North America coming from a small town where I had minus one other person. I was the only one to play college sports Wow! high school of like 1200 kids. And by all outside appearances, I looked like I was doing great. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't, I was my first year of college I'd just gotten this great deal. Like I was so excited and fresh and green, but what was really happening was I got into an environment that was more high performance than I had ever expected. Um, I was playing against girls who are now on Olympic teams and all of those external things I relied on, like being a top two D uh, playing a lot of minutes, playing every game. Those were all gone. Right. And I was getting beat all the time because, you know, I'm an 18 year old playing against girls who are 21, 22. Right. Um, my speed wasn't where it needed to be. Pretty much everything needed improvement. 
And instead of looking at that as a positive thing, I looked at it as complete and total failure on my part. Wow. Yeah. So looked like a great year from the outside, but really like I was contemplating quitting. I was contemplating transferring pretty much everything in the, in the basket of not continuing in that situation had gone through my head. We, we talked to so many, so many people and, and, what I think it's lost a lot of times is the off the field court rank mm-hmm. pressure. Um, you know, I, I know when John and I were going through the stat was that only 25% of every student athlete that begins to play mm-hmm. at some level of NCAA competition ever see the end of their eligibility. Um, Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's a crazy stat. And it's on the outside. People don't realize it's not a talent issue, because like you just said, Lauren, I mean, you're coming from a big school, 1200 kids. You can obviously play. The coaches saw that you could play. They have the perspective of but she's only 18. We're going to teach her the nuances of the game. She's going to get faster. She's going to get in the weight room. And it's this instant kind of gratification that I think everybody expects when they're a high performer. The first time that you run into that true like speed bump and you go, oh, well, maybe I'm not what I thought I was. Yeah, absolutely. That went through my head. Right. And I was uh, like a straight A student in high school Mm -hmm. and like a star athlete. I played almost every sport in high school in addition mm-hmm. to hockey. Um, and then I got into, again, my freshman year and I showed up and my academic advisor said, don't take a full course load, take the minimum 12 credits, get used to it. And I said, no, right. I'm capable of doing more than that. Yeah. As a student. Yeah. I'll show you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Try me. Try me. <laughs> right. So what did I do? I took 16 or 18 credits and wound up with a 2.7 GPA my freshman first semester. Yeah. And I had to dig myself out of that hole for the rest of my college career. Right. But it was that whole first year was like a lot of lessons just slapping me in the face. So do you think, Lauren, and I think, I mean, this is probably even a whole nother show, but do you think that there's also a part of it that I think with athletes, especially collegiate athletes is, that was the goal. The goal was to get there. You, you're there. The in that climb to get there, you would have never accepted any escape ramps or or, or outlets and been like, "Oh, I'm going to give up on this dream," because you were you're dialed in, you're ready to go, or whatever. And I think to Brandon's point about that percentage, about one in four maintain that four years. I think what happens too is you, everyone is so committed to getting there that once they're there, it's almost like the first kind of, you know, little challenge here or there, they're ready to be like, eh, I was, I, this was my goal. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And I think the other thing that happens too, is it's like disenchanting sometimes when you get sure. there because it's a grind and, and nobody can set you up to understand how difficult it is to balance being a student athlete. Because it's crazy. You've never had to juggle a schedule like that. Like normally your school is eight to two in high school or nine to three, whatever it is. And then your athletics comes after. Right. No one ever sets you up for like, oh no, you have six AM lift. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And then you come back to the ring for practice. And oh, by the way, where's the really nice coach that was talking (laughs) to me before I showed up? (laughs) Yeah. So there's that too, right? And and oh my god, I didn't have the eject button in my uh, repertoire at all. Yeah. And I I always make fun of my dad for saying this. And the fact that this is the thing that has kept me in it so many times makes him laugh. But he always says, like, no one likes a quitter. Yeah. Jokes when he says it. But I'm not kidding when I say, like, that's what comes up in my head. For sure. When I think about bailing on something. Right. So when you – 
No, you're exactly right. And and look, that's that I think, but it's funny because I, I Brandon's heard me use this analogy before, but I think what happens for other players in, in that same kind of situation is their parent was their motor mm-hmm. all through high school. They that they, they were the one who was telling them to go out and get some extra shots in, go out and get some extra ice time, go out and do whatever. And now all of a sudden they leave their motor at home when they go to college. And so those are, so that can go two different directions for you. It it actually ended up being a positive, but it can also be one of those things where they're like, Hey, you know what? I'm not as driven to do this as my dad was driven for me to do it. For sure. And so, so here's a question too, Lauren, and and we've asked this a couple of times um, with professionals like yourself, there's a difference between mental toughness right? And, and fortitude and stick to and emotional absence, right? And I, and I think a lot of times that gets, that gets confused. Like people think, well, I'm going to shut off my emotions and that's going to make me tough and, and nothing's going to penetrate it. And I'll just grind through mm-hmm. instead of going, Hey, okay, this, this is tough. I feel this way. I accept this but I can feel this way and still physically get through what I need to get through while I work things out mentally. Do you see that a lot? Yeah. Uh, How many times do young kids get told to suck it up on the bench? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and basically get told to hide their emotions. Mm -hmm. But my argument is, is we are emotional beings, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're hardwired to experience emotions based off of the stimuli that's coming in from outside of us to basically tell us like, okay, is this a good situation for you to be in or is it a bad situation? Right? So emotions are helpful. They're information, they're intelligence. Mm -hmm. But when we learn to ignore them, then we're missing out on all that information that -hmm. should be helping you navigate the situation. So instead of saying, okay, I feel this way. What are my feelings trying to tell me about how I fit in this situation and understanding them and working through them? We, we shove them down. We hide them. We don't want to deal with them. We push them away. Um, and then before you know it, they kind of blow up in our face. And right. the best example I've ever heard of this came from somebody who was talking about um, dealing with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how um, she didn't want to deal with the emotions that she was experiencing. She said, but it was like taking a piece of raw meat that fell on the floor and wiping it under the rug and then just saying, okay, it's fine there now. You can't see it. Right. Yeah. But then a couple days later, you start to smell something funny. Yeah. Yeah. You have some other things that aren't, you know wanted without getting too graphic (laughs) (laughs) but she's like it really is it's like leaving a piece of festering raw meat and before you know it it's it's out of control yeah you don't deal with those things i i love that analogy and and i and i know and john and i talk about sometimes the um the application in, in in the real world or or away from sports and when you say that stuff, Lauren, it makes me think of how many people, and, I, and I'm in the business of providing um, information and intelligence for companies to make really big business decisions, right? I mean, these are decisions that impact millions and millions of dollars through, through a daily basis. They want as much data as they possibly can, right? So, Allow yourself to feel that. Allow yourself to grow from that. Um, mm-hmm. I love that analogy, though, of the of the meat under the rug because it, it's it's so true. And here's the thing: you know it's there, like you, right. You know it's there, even even yeah. before it starts to rot. Yeah, there's I mean, like there's, a lump you, in the rug. <laughs> that's right. You I tripped over it. it. Yeah, I mean it's always yeah yeah that's every like time that. you step on it, you're not making it any better either. <laughs> that's right. So Lauren, before we move off of that particular uh, moment for you, because I, I, I'm, this is all about teaching. And, and I think that our listeners would really like to hear as the performance coach now, if you had a chance to go back and talk to freshman Lauren Williams, what, what advice would you give her? Um, not to judge where you're at. 
Yeah. I was so judgmental of the fact that I was back in this sort of like beginner mindset and in a beginner position. Um, yeah, I would have told her not to judge where you're at and to trust the process. Yeah. And actually first to recognize the process to like see the small victories that I was getting every day. Um, instead of ignoring them in favor of looking at what I didn't have, which is what I did. And that's such a great point about the small victories because in, and I want our listeners to understand something, everybody who's probably dialed into our show is probably at least a page through Carol Dweck's mindset book, because that seems to be one of the, the big ones that everyone wants to listen to. But I think the challenge with the growth mindset mentality is that it, it kind of goes a little bit back to that perfectionism that you talked about a, a minute ago is you're always like looking for what can I fix? What can I get better? What can I do or whatever? At some point you have to be able to give yourself credit for what you've done and give yourself credit and at least acknowledge that, like you said, those small victories, because if you're constantly in a growth mindset mentality of good, better, best, at some point you're going to burn out. Yeah. You have to take time to reflect on what you've been able to accomplish um, and take time to celebrate the victories as they come instead of just, you know, blowing by them. Okay. I was supposed to get that. See you later on to the next. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. Completely. That that whole results driven and, and and it's definitely something that that I know that I've had to really adjust how I think about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 again, there's there's this really fine line for athletes between being driven and and allowing certain things, whether they are what you want to consider failures or learning opportunities or however you want to phrase it, being able to utilize those to make you better, but also celebrating that victory, but somehow or another not being satisfied or complacent with that. And that's a really tough balance at times. Um, I know I, I suffered from that for sure. Yeah. I think, one of the things that I always have athletes do is um, I give everybody a way to look at like performance by performance. How are you doing? Okay. What are, what were your goals for that performance and how did you stack up against those goals? And the first thing that I always have them do is look at the positives. What did you do well? And then after reflecting on that, then they can get into, okay, what needs improvement? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to what needs improvement, all that's doing is giving you a way to fuel your next practice, to make each practice purposeful so that you're not just, you know, showing up and and wasting 60 minutes of your life or an hour and a half of your life, whatever it is, but saying, okay, there's something that I can work on here and I'm going to put my conscious attention towards that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I call it the well, better, how. Uh, with the athletes is what'd you do well, what could you have done better? And then how are you going to do it? Um, very getting very specific about that. I, I want to move to another topic because um, you kind of touched on this a little bit when you were talking about that father daughter relationship. And it made me think about something um, that we've unpacked a little bit on this show, but I want to get your thoughts on is this male versus female athletes in the mental, in the way of mental performance. And what I mean by that is we had a uh, guest on our show a few weeks ago that was talking about how men and women have certain ingrained character traits that leave them susceptible to mental performance challenges. For example, girls usually come from this place of they're worried about pleasing others. They want to, they want to always is fine and be, you know, pleasing to others. And then guys and Brandon kind of talked a little bit about this um, is they kind of grow up thinking you have to muffle feelings or like you said earlier, suck it up. Have you seen this to be as a performance coach that there's, there's something to that, right? The male versus female. Yes, absolutely. And I, I agree with the fact that I think societally girls are taught to compare themselves to others and are taught that they should, look a certain way, behave a certain way, mm-hmm. um, do everything, you know, in life a certain way to appease other people. Um, but on the other hand, I do see that there are things that men are conditioned that both either help them in the sporting world, but also hurt them a lot. 
mm-hmm. because the amount of you know young boys that I've worked with who don't even know how to identify the emotions that they're feeling mm-hmm. is astounding. And having to teach them and say, look, these are helpful things. They're not bad. They're mm-hmm. natural. Everybody feels them. And the better you learn to feel them and understand them, the better off you're going to be not only in sport, but also in life. Yeah. Like, they're going to keep showing up. That's it. <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it's one of those things that, and this kind of goes a little bit into what you were talking about earlier, what we were all talking about earlier when we were saying that, you know, professional athletes or um people at a certain level, there's kind of an expectation, oh, they have it all figured out kind of a thing. And, and I think that's what happens with a lot of those male athletes is, you know, you're constantly pushing these things aside. And then it's even harder now for a coach who's not trained on the performance side, like you are to be able to identify some of these things. All they see is the players just not performing at the level they want them to perform and they're not taking their practice game to the real game. And now it just becomes this really big point of conflict because the coach keeps saying you need to get, you know, you just need to be more mentally tough or you need to, 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 um, you know, be more competitive, whatever the case may be. And the players just like lost in the whole thing. Well, and you don't, and, and, and to Lauren's point, if you don't, if you don't know what it is that, that, is problematic if you can't put a, a term for it it's even worse it, it compounds i mean we talked about it john where i mean i, I told you in, in therapy the the person i spoke with said okay so during the day write down how you feel when these things happen and it was three happy sad or mad like that was that was it that's all you get i mean it, it was like a b or c and sometimes D all of the above, but it, it, I mean, to the point where they were like, Hey, look, here's, here's like a list of emotions. Why don't you start using this and, and kind of open yourself up to what this is. And I can tell you from personal experience that that is, that's real. Like you, you have someone that, that is pushing you. You don't know how to react to it. You don't even know what you would call how you feel. And it, it's just a very, very frustrating place to be as an athlete or as a human being, right? So do you do you see that a lot more into where you do you help educate those younger players that are emotionally arrested, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Helping them start to first acknowledge the fact that they're feeling something. Mm-hmm. But the the second part is really the big piece is I ask them like, what do you think it's trying to tell you? Well, if like your that. emotion is triggered by a belief system that you have about yourself and your ability to navigate the situation you're in, mm-hmm. what is that emotion trying to tell you? If it's fear-based, maybe the belief system is you believe you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not worthy of whatever's happening. If you feel confident, then maybe there's a belief system that's saying like, yeah, you can do this. You're capable of doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of giving them the knowledge and that level of empowerment to say like, oh, this is something I can figure out. I feel these things. That's the natural part. Now I just have to work on saying, okay, what is it trying to tell me? Because then you can look at them a little bit more objectively, right? And they're not just like this big, scary thing. That a lot of athletes make them out to be. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And then it's it's also once you've kind of gone through that assessment piece and that identification piece, it's also being willing to change uh, and and making that commitment to to change. You know, one of the things you talked about in another one of your posts. Um, I, I was stalking a little bit of your posts, by the way, if you, you're kind of like, wow, this is a little bit creepy. He's like gone all the way back through the archives or whatever, but, um, but it was, it was good. It caught my attention was because, you know, change has been such a big topic during the pandemic is people don't like change. Right. And they've been forced to change so much their routines, everything about what we've had to go through in the last year. But as you pointed out in one of your posts, people are less change agile, more change resistant now 
um, and change should be viewed as an opportunity for growth. Why do you think people are so resistant to change? Because they know their situation, right? They know what to expect. They can predict relatively what happens next. I talk to athletes about this all the time when it comes to negative belief systems or negative thought patterns. Like you can be super down on yourself, really negative when it comes to self-talk, but you continue to do it because at least you know predictably where you land, Mm -hmm. which is probably feeling really crummy about yourself. Mm -hmm. Maybe even, you know, eventually a little motivated to go and work harder, which is what some athletes are taught is you Mm -hmm. feel bad about yourself and that makes you want to work harder. Um, And you can say, all right, something's going to happen. I'm going to beat myself up for it. I'm going to feel crummy about it for a while. And I can say, I'm going to go from A to B to C. And that feels good because your brain can say, we know exactly where we're going. Whereas change, you don't really know where it's going to take you. Right. So to the brain, that's like, uh, I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's anxiousness. It's yeah. uncomfortable. Right. But, but you hear so many times, like when was the last time you were able to accomplish anything worth accomplishing being comfortable right right i mean that's that's tough i mean it's yeah it's tough i always look at things as like our brain is pretty primal in terms of Mm -hmm. it has one job which is to keep us safe and alive survive yeah yeah and way back in like cavemen days and you know, as we've evolved, we're starting to understand that our brain hasn't changed as much as our living circumstances. Mm-hmm. So whereas at one point in our existence, we had to be very attuned to everything that was going on outside of us because you didn't know where your food was coming from. You didn't know what predators were out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of threats to your living. Now we don't really have that. So what our brain interprets as threats are social judgment, Hmm. are things like, quote unquote, failure um, and, you know, not being good enough. Those are interpreted as real life threats. And I tell every single athlete I work with, like, you literally cannot die from embarrassment. It's okay to make a mistake. The brain thinks you can die from embarrassment, but you can't. (laughs) Yeah. No, it, it, and that actually is a nice segue into something that you all are doing. Um, I believe this is through elite high performance, but talk, talk to me about the mental gym. I know that's something that you're involved in the brain training for athletes. I love this concept because it's that whole idea of athletes are afraid of making mistakes. Just what you were just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the mental gym is really a space for athletes to get in and, learn some of those essential mental skills that you need to live in such a high performance environment. It's not normal to have some of those expectations that are put onto athletes, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're different than regular life, which means that you need skills to deal with them. And we're just not taught those skills, right? We're not taught how to objectively look at our performance before we ask somebody else to evaluate us. Mm -hmm. We're not taught how to build our own confidence without asking somebody else to make us feel confident. Um, And it really does help athletes just build a plan that they can use to say, okay, regardless of the outcome, Mm -hmm. here's how I can judge how well I'm doing right now. And in relation to the goals that I set for myself, not for any external type of thing, but these were the goals that I said were important to me. And here's how I'm going to measure my performance based off those things. Yeah. And it's so important to have that personal self-reflection because one of the things I see, Lauren, happen all the time in society right now, especially in the sporting world, and I see it in the business world as well, is this, this constant need to coach just to coach. It's, it's where you've got somebody who's, you know, being asked to evaluate or give feedback to somebody and that player or in, in the business world, that employee um, is just asking, you know, the great ones always want feedback, but they're asking for feedback 
But sometimes that feedback could be, hey, you're you're doing pretty good with that. That that's that's good. Maybe just tweak a thing here or there. But you see them always like feeling the need to find some you know negative thing or some mistake or whatever. And so I think that kind of fuels some of that as well. And I also think, and I don't know if you you guys um, up in Canada and in, in the hockey world, if you saw a lot of this, but this, this specialization in sport now with these like um, special coaches, the, the guy that you're going to pay, you know, 75 bucks to a hundred dollars an hour every week for your son or daughter to go see, they feel like they have to justify that money. And so now they're going to constantly be finding things that aren't, aren't good either. Right. So it's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're over coaching as well. So these athletes sometimes are conditioned to be needing that mental gym because of all of these, you know, quote unquote coaches they've had along the way. Absolutely. I mean, we're the way that our society is set up is to give you as much data as possible, right? Like we're very results driven. We want to see return on investment. We want to see improvements, 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 right? But that's just not how life goes, especially in the athletics world. Like there's a reason why the word plateau exists. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it's it's interesting to look at it from that way, right? And I honestly, I'd never even considered that because I do power skating coaching for yeah. hockey players, which is literally how can we make your stride as efficient as possible hmm. so you're not wasting energy. Yeah. And in that, I get very nitpicky. Mm. But I tell people that, hey, look, this is the first time that you're learning this. You learned how to skate basically on your own. So all of my feedback that I'm giving is constructive. Right. I want you to take it and think about it. Try to apply it Mm -hmm. as a beginner skater. Yeah. Because essentially you are. And it's really funny. Like I'm working with 18 year old boys that are playing, you know, AAA hockey or on the college path. Right. And they're like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. So so I can make it real easy for you. Mm-hmm. I can get some ice time in the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> I can video it and you can play it. Just be like, you see that? Yeah. Don't Boy do that. At all costs. <laughs> you see how he looks like there's a shark attacking him on the ice. <laughs> that is not how we play the game. They'd have to move the PVC pipe, a little walker thing that they put with the the young skaters too. The stuff that they would have to do, they wouldn't even be able to tell with all the padding I'd probably have to put on at this point in my life, uh, you know, broken wrists, ankles, all of it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I love all of the things we've been able to unpack here. You know, the, the whole idea of, of once you've made up your mind to make that change and whether that's because you are um, overcome this fear of wanting to make mistakes and you're willing to take the leap, that's the motivation. And w- we talk about that difference between motivation and commitment a lot. You know, it's like you've, you, the commitment is what keeps you going after the motivation's gone. Motivation gets you started, but the commitment is, is long at, is, um, is what, you know, kind of keeps you going after that motivation gone. So one of the challenges for coaches and employers keep talking about wanting more motivated players and employees, but they don't understand that. That's fine. That's only going to get you so far, though. But you've got to be able to stay committed after that trigger, that prize, whatever the case may be, has has you know has kind of uh, been accomplished. Because, like we always say, you're not always going to feel like waking up at five thirty in the morning and and working out. But the disciplined, committed player is going to do that. Yeah, and I think um, the way that I sum it up for people is like motivation gets you out of bed and doing whatever you need to do on the low threshold days, the easy days, mm-hmm. right? But commitment's what keeps you going when you're tired, you're sore. Maybe for hockey, which is the one of the only college sports that spans both semesters, mm-hmm. goes from September to March. Um, when you're in, you know, the last couple months of the season, you're like in the thick of April, you want to be done. Right. That's what keeps you going is commitment. Um but I always have people remember why they started. Yeah. And I help athletes create like a really vivid 
visualization for what that end goal is. What is your why? Why are you doing this every day? And visualize it to a point where it's almost like you're watching it on a high def TV with surround sound. Like you can hear and see everything. Right. You can feel all those emotions. And whenever you're starting to experience a falter in motivation, which I normalize because it is completely normal. You don't feel 10 out of 10 every single day to pull that out of your back pocket. Remember why it was so important to you when you started the journey. And hopefully you see a little bit of that uptick in motivation or at least a reminder of why you need to be committed. Well, and I think it's important to learn to what I call pre-commitment is what are you going to do ahead of time that's going to prepare you for when adversity hits? Maybe something doesn't work out the way you want it to. How are you going to avoid that? Because the goal shouldn't change. Maybe your path to get to the goal will change. But but so that we talk about as pre-commitment, I'll give you a great story I just recently heard. Um, so I was trained in mental performance by Brian Kane. And Brian does a lot of like Ironman workouts and, and uh, races and things like that. Well, he was training last year during the pandemic to do this big Ironman race in Arizona. And 15 days. So you can only imagine what kind of training goes into these Ironman uh, races. So 15 days before the race, they cancel the race. They're like, oh, we're not going to have the race or whatever. Now, Brian says, you know what? For me, it was no big deal. I mean, it was a big deal, of course, but but he he his mind immediately went to those who were just training for the first time. This is going to be their first one. He's done it quite a few times. But um, somebody asked him, I was on a call with him and somebody asked him, well, what did you do? What did you do when you found out it, it you know, was um, was canceled? And he said, you know, I gave myself about 30 seconds to sulk. And think, wow, that really sucks. And he said, and then what I did is I just reframed it. And I reminded myself, I wasn't training for the Ironman. I was training for life. I was training. I got better nutrition out of it. I got more disciplined in the fact that I was able to do this every single day and get up and do my training routine or whatever. So there's a lot of things. And I think it's really important for people. And it kind of goes back to the pre-commitment, having a plan in case it doesn't work out the way you wanted to, to do so you can stay committed to it. But then also it's understanding that life will get in the way of some of these things and you got to be able to reframe or refocus on the positive and whatever that adversity is. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to adapt to whatever your circumstances is, is so important. And they say some of the best athletes are the ones who can adapt the most sure. um, and, and be able to change tack or change focus whenever. Um, but yeah, I could I could not imagine being in that situation where you're training for an Ironman and then oh no, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, <they're> like, <laughs> but, but I love too the the thought of of some perspective. We were talking to um Dr. Mo Pickens mm-hmm. and he was talking about a golfer and how perspective going into a playoff hole it, it absolutely shows kind of where your head needs to be, right? One was Okay, if we were at the beginning of this tournament and I said, hey, you, you've got an opportunity to win, and but it may take a playoff hole, you would have taken it, right? Versus, I can't believe I just blew that right. last hole and now I've got to go to a playoff hole. You know, step back a little bit, stop feeling bad for yourself and realize like you're still in this in this position to to accomplish the goal that, that you set out to accomplish. So, yeah, the perspective thing is huge. Um, one of my teammates said to me one year, we were talking about getting into playoffs and instead of playing, you know, the number four team, we played the third seeded team, which was like right below us and they were our rivals and everyone was like, Oh, we don't want to do this. Like this sucks. (laughs) You know, and, and people are kind of getting, you, you can sense that there's a little bit of worry, right? Mm-hmm. Because if it's, you know, one verse four, there's like a little bit more of a, a feeling of cushion, although you're sure. in the frozen four. So like, they're all great. Yeah. But um, my one teammate said to me, she goes, the nature of the task doesn't change. Your perspective on it is what changes. So if you can develop a healthier relationship to whatever is right in front of you, then the nature of the task is the exact same. Absolutely. 
Yeah. He's like, you still got to put the puck in the net. Right. And You're still it, playing hockey, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're trying to perform and play to the best of our ability. And whether you're playing a junior team or you're playing an Olympic national team, the, what's on the jersey doesn't matter. I'm just supposed to go do the best that I can do at the sport that I love. It's an elite level mindset. I had a college baseball coach that uh, used to say, um, you're playing the ball. You know, it doesn't matter who you're playing. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's really good that the, the task – is definitely going to stay pretty consistent and you're going to have those different things. But the ones that can do that, the reason I said it's an elite level mindset is they're the ones that usually are, are going to end up on top because they're not getting caught up in all of the emotion of everything else. And that that's going to be really important. So we're going to start to kind of wrap up here a little bit because I know we've already kept you uh, for a while, but I want you to, I want to ask you a couple more questions. So one is, Talk to me a little bit, because I know this is something you guys are excited about there at Dismantling the High Performance Narrative is this Leadership Launchpad project. Um, what, what Tell the listeners a little bit about that, maybe how they could find out more information. Yeah, absolutely. So the Leadership Launchpad project is all about teaching people the side of leadership that you don't get at the typical leadership conferences, right? The amount of information, there's a stat for this, and of course, I'm not remembering it right now, that people actually take away from, you know, the leadership trainings that Mm -hmm. companies have is very little. Every single company says they need better leadership, and they bring these people in, and then the results are not there. Absolutely. And the reason is because you can teach somebody how to be a leader, And you can give them all the verbiage for it. And here's how you show up for people and, you know, stand up straighter, make yourself, you know, look like a leader. But if it doesn't align with the mindset that you have, then that stuff falls flat. It doesn't, it doesn't work. So we kind of combine it with, here's your leadership stuff, but also here's the mindset training and how you show up as a leader for yourself first before you start to show up for others. I like that. Um, yeah, because, oh my gosh, people who want to help others are the the self-sacrificing type, right? Mm-hmm. They put all of their needs on the back burner. They say, well, I have to get this done at work first, so I'm not going to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you can't pull from an emptying cup, as I've said before. Right. Yeah. So that really teaches you the the mindset piece that has to come along with some of those leadership strategies. You, um, the, you're so spot on number one. So as I was saying earlier in my real world, um, when we're not doing the podcast, I'm a leader for a pretty good sized company. And uh, that's probably a little bit of an understatement, but, um, but, but, <laughs> but, um, the, now I'm the, curious. Yeah, well, we'll we'll talk. We'll talk, we'll talk off. off yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk off camera or off off the mic anyhow. But um, but one of the things about it is I, I've done management development training for some of the leaders we have, and I always say to your point, everybody always tells leaders what they need to do. They don't tell them how they need to do it. Nobody ever takes time to do any of that stuff. So it's really good what you guys are doing. How can they find the website, uh, maybe a little bit about where they, what, what is there dates on this? I know it's a lot web-based now, right? Yeah. So, um, go to highperformancenarrative.com forward slash leadership. Um, and all of the info is there. Um, I believe we're starting, um, or signups close June 15th. So that's the last. Wow. Okay. Next week. Next week. Right. We're, we're getting into it. And the best thing about this is that it's group based. So myself and Rob lead it, but we have a group of people together that get to talk and share their experiences. And I think that's one of the best things that you can foster in this type of environment where everybody's trying to, you know, optimize or get better or just, you know, find a way to more efficiently navigate life is to have a community with it, to hear Mm -hmm. that other people are going through the same stuff as you. And even though we're all dealing with our own problems, there is a similar storyline. Yeah. You can feel 
you know, comforted by the fact that, hey, there's other people going through the exact same stuff that I am. There's a uh, guest we had, uh, Mark Glassini, and you guys need to get him on your show, by, mm-hmm. by the way. Okay. Mark Glassini played uh, lacrosse at Yale, um, was on the training Olympic training team. We need to double check and see if he uh, made that squad. But um, really professional lacrosse player, really great, but he's now a mental performance coach, really great guy. He's a stud. And he, he shared on here and it wasn't his, but he got it from somebody else. But this definition of leadership is comforting the disturbed and disturbing the comforted. And I loved it because I thought it was so good. It's like that, that is leadership right there is, is having that ability to do both of those things uh, when it's needed, you know, when it's needed. So, so Lauren, last question, when are you the happiest? Hmm. Hey, I'll, I'll, while you think about that, John, you've never asked that question. I'm not. I've that, is, that is, you want to talk about throwing for Lauren a curveball. Yeah. I mean, she was okay. looking fastball and I was like, Hey, hey here's a no, little something. Hey, let me, let me show you what I got right here. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, I think I'm honestly one of those people that it would change given where yeah. I'm at in life. Right. Right. Um, I think right now where I'm happiest is when I'm with people where we can have conversations like this. Right. I really have found a passion for like the teaching side of things and um, with clients or even with my family, um, my, my partner and, and talking about like this kind of stuff that makes you feel or at least makes me feel like. I can teach a little bit, but then we can have that back and forth of like, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I probably would have told you when I can lace up my skates on a fresh sheet of ice and have it all to myself and just get to, to go out there and have fun. When I was in high school, it probably would have been sitting in the front room with my mom, my dad, my brother, getting to do all that kind of family stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think right now it's, it's being able to sit we'll say in a virtual room like this with with people like yourself who are equally as interested in this stuff to have meaningful conversations about it and to start, you know, spreading the word about how important this stuff is. Whether that's with, you know, colleagues, family, friends, whoever, I don't know. I'm, I'm really into it right now. That's That's awesome. You're doing great by the way. I mean, and and, and I figured that was going to be, when, and you're so right. It changes. I mean, I'm going to be 50 years old in October. Um, and yeah, it's getting up Man, there. Old timer. Half time. And uh, so, so I, uh, but it's funny. You go back to 20s, like you said, 30s, it, it's, it changes. And then as a parent, then it becomes something different for you. So it's all that perspective that we've, we've talked about and we have to have. Um, Last thing, tell everybody where they can find this social media content that I've been talking so much about. Yes, well, shouldn't absolutely. you tell them since you've been stalking her? Yeah. <laughs> um, my Instagram is at LaurenWilly17. Um, I'm pretty much, you know, like you said, I'm a little bit of an open book on there. I try to share a little bit of everything from like mental performance tips to what's going on in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you want to follow dismantling the high performance narrative as well, we post clips and quotes from all of our episodes on there. That's high performance narrative just on Instagram. Um, And then if you want to reach out to me, feel free DM me on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Although I'll say I'm like a noob when it comes to (laughs) I'm I'm such a rookie on LinkedIn, but we're working on it. Rob is really helping me with that because he's like the LinkedIn master. Yeah. You can get some, I mean, it's funny. We've actually gotten a couple guests through LinkedIn before, um, you know, Bob Tewksbury, who was a, uh, you know, former major league pitcher and uh, mental skills coach in, in uh, the major leagues. And he, Found him on LinkedIn. Was like, okay, let's go ahead and fire a message off. Got to shut. You got to shoot on goal if you want to score, right? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're, we're 
That's right. We're not afraid to do that. Well, Lauren, we can't thank you enough. You were uh, a treat to be able to sit down and talk with. I know, like we were saying, just from the content that you put out there on social media and some of the things that you and Rob are doing with that podcast, it's it's fantastic stuff. So uh, always proud to talk to somebody else who gets it like you do and is continuing to work on and, and evolve uh, ways that they can help more athletes, help more clients and people just you know, get better and close that gap between where they are and where they want to be. So thanks for, for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me on. It was really an honor. And I'm glad that we finally got it together. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And by the way, the answer to when are you the happiest is as a guest on the Mental Advantage podcast. That was what I was looking for. Oh, but... <laughs> wow. Wow. Man, I didn't know we were going to talk about fishing today. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, thanks, Lauren. We'll have to definitely get you back on the show sometime. Maybe we'll get you and Rob to come on together. Yeah, absolutely. We would love that. And again, thank you so much. It's been an honor. Awesome. Want to provide feedback or stay up to date with the show? Visit our Instagram page at Mental Advantage Podcast. Or you can send us an email at podcast at mentaladvantage.net. To have John Cullen work with you or your team, please write to him at john.cullen at mentaladvantage.net. Thanks for listening to today's episode.